Hey, Stephanie Goss, you got a second to talk about Guardian Vets? Yeah, what do you want to talk about? Man, I uh, I hear from people all the time that are overwhelmed because the phones never stop ringing. Um, yes. And I'm sure you, you hear from these people as well. You know, like our caseload is blowing up and the doctors are busy and uh, the phones just don't stop. They never stop. <laughs> <laughs> that is a true story. I'm amazed by how uh, how few veterinarians know about Guardian Vet. This is a service where you have uh, registered technicians uh, who can jump in virtually and help you on the phones. You can flip the switch and uh, Guardian Vets can jump in and take some of the load off the front desk and they can handle your clients and get them booked for your appointments and give them support. And it really is a godsend. Pre-pandemic, it was amazing to me how many people hadn't heard about it for after hours call help. But at this point, I can't believe how many people don't realize that they are offering help during the daytime as well, which I would think right now is a huge benefit to practices because everybody is shorthanded. Everybody is drowning in phone calls. And so we talk about it. We've talked about Guardian Vets a lot on the podcast. And every time we do, we always get somebody who says, what is that? <laughs> Guys, if you're not familiar with Guardian Vets, if you think that you could use some help on the uh, on the phones or up at the front desk, check them out. It's guardianvets.com. And uh, if you you mention our podcast, me and Stephanie Goss, uh, you get a month free. So check it out, guardianvets.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Dr. Andrew Rourke, and this is the Uncharted Podcast. Guys, Stephanie Goss and I got a good one from the mailbag today. Have you ever worked with someone who judged the people around them? They would look, they would see somebody sitting and eating their lunch and be like, ah, she never does anything. And they would make these snap decisions and judgments about people. They would sum up their whole character based on the behavior that they saw at that moment. That is a judgmental employee. What do you do about it? How do you fix it? How do you talk to this person? How big a problem is it? Do we need to work with the whole team on it? Or is this an individual problem? Gang, Stephanie Goss and I unpack it all. If you have got a judgy judgerson in your practice, we got you covered. Let's get into this episode. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, and the one and only Stephanie No Judgment God. <laughs> I love it. That might be the most appropriate uh, title for this episode ever. Totally. I love it. How's yeah. it going? It's good, man. Uh, again, summer winding down. Um, my youngest daughter has been talking all summer about how she wants to go to a baseball game. Oh, yeah. And we went to the local minor league game last night. How fun. It was flipping great. Uh, and we got these great seats. Uh, awesome. a big, big spender. I spent $13 <laughs> each for them. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I Honestly, I there is something really wonderful about minor league baseball. Like mm -hmm. 13 bucks for a seat. Uh, you know what I mean? You go, you don't have to really, you kind of hang out and you got to half watch it and half hang out. And, yeah. and you know, we got, uh, she got to eat uh, hot dogs and, and we got, uh, we got, you know, shell, like the peanuts in shells. And yep. so we broke the shells and she was like, can we do this? And I was like, yeah, you just drop them. <laughs> like one day I'm going to, one day I'm going to find a Texas roadhouse and just blow your mind. <laughs> Wait till she finds the bar where you can just drop the peanut shells. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> College <was> kid. A hundred percent. That's going to be was, right up Hannah Rourke's alley. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was a big it was a big win. So, oh, yeah, amazing. we went. Uh, the, it was not a good game, but she didn't know. <laughs> she was like, this is great. I was like, oh, good. 
That's uh, so we, fun. We may I or may not that. have had ice cream uh, in the seventh inning. You know, it was. Don't tell her mom. Yeah, so it was pretty. <laughs> it was pretty fantastic. So that's what's going on with me. How about you? I love it uh, about the about the theme. The kids and I are just you know hanging out and enjoying the heck out of summer. They were like, "Can we have ice cream for dinner?" And I was like, "Yes." And then then we'll eat second dinner. And <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it's just that it's about. It's about having fun. We um we did a hunt a killer mystery together last night, which is kind oh, of like fun. an escape room in a box kind yeah, of situation. I, yeah. I did um, those, and it was uh you you in Uncharted, and you introduced me to escape rooms, and I fell in love with them. And then I introduced the kids to them, uh, and they have totally been digging it. And uh, yeah. we we did uh one with their school through somebody we've used for Uncharted, and they loved it so much. And so my mom got them. This one and I loved it because it was uh, Nancy Drew, so total nostalgia for me That's <laughs> growing cool. up when I did. Um, and the kids have no idea who Nancy Drew is, uh, even though they have books on their bookshelf uh, that are yeah. Nancy Drew books. But um, so it was it was great. It was we had so much fun and it was good. We're we're trying to lean into spending some intentional time together and yeah, turning off the phones and you know doing yeah. the, doing the fun stuff. I, I think that stuff is really important. I think a lot of people are really looking for that these days. I found myself playing a lot of board games yep. uh, recently. Yep. And there's one, and I can't remember what it's called, uh, but it's this weird, it's kind of this puzzle game of like sh- just wooden blocks that have to fit together in mm-hmm. a certain way. And and you, it, it's just really ingenious in how it's made. And I'll come up with a name of it in the future, but uh, Hannah and I, she, she's out of camps and stuff. And so I'm looking for things to do with sure. her. Uh, you know, I'm working and everything, but when I get when I get loose, I can't come home and flop down. I, I want to come home and, and engage with her uh, yeah. because I know that she's kind of hanging around waiting for me to get finished. And so we've been playing board games and stuff like that. Uh, the I am a huge escape room junkie. I love those. Yeah. The Hunter Killers are fun. I, I we uh, my wife and I did those. The ones that I really love, and and they are they are challenging. But a quick gift recommendation for anybody out there who likes sort of puzzles or mysteries or sort of things like that to do together with people. Uh, there's one called Curious Correspondence. Oh yeah, and that's this is not sponsored by Curious Correspondence. <laughs> it, but if anyone but from if you Curious want to is listening, us. yeah, give me give me a call. Uh, let me know because I'll be your guy because I am 100 percent on board with your product. I. Uh, we, Al, Allison and I have done the first adventure, the whole adventure, and they send you like one thing a month. But their their puzzles are really good, and they they are not easy. It takes That's us fun. a couple of days to work through the things, but um, yeah, it's those are really well done. But I am a hundred percent with you as far as trying to find things that are intentional that people could do together. Well, and it's it's always hard, right? Because I'm you guys might not know this about me, but I'm a bit of a control freak. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, uh, you know, so when the kids drag out a book or drag out a board game and they're like, can we do this one? And my first instinct is if it's something that I don't want to do or the book that I hate, my first instinct is to be the mom that's like, nope, not going to do that. (laughs) And so I really do have to fight that, that instinct sometimes. And and last night it was like, Riley pulled out this one and it was, she was like, let's try something we haven't actually done. And cause we have a whole a whole stack of things and and yeah. I had had it in my head when when we said let's let's do a game I was thinking of the thing that I wanted to do and I was like nope let's do it and we had so much fun uh and it was it was great so yeah it's summer summer's going well it's it's a lot of fun you told me a long time ago your favorite board game what's your favorite board game oh gosh I really uh the kids and I really dig this game called flux is oh yeah okay it's a, and we now have like seven different decks 
and I yeah. really enjoy that one. Uh, it's a game where their rules change constantly mm-hmm. throughout the game, hence the name Flux. Uh, and they have all different versions, and they have a super nerdy like fantasy version now that's got like Harry Potter esque and a Lord of the Rings esque characters and uh, cards, and it's 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 a lot of fun. Uh, we what do you guys you guys play a lot of games? We play a lot of board games. Yeah, I I picked up Flux after you recommended it, and it is fun. I I had a good time. We played as a family. We played Ticket to Ride. Oh yeah, recently, we lo- we which is that. a train game. Um, I tell you, when you get four people playing, it gets really fun really yes. fast. That was I I that way. I'm not a train guy. I was like, yes. why do I, we have a train game? Yes. Um, <laughs> it, that was I was really impressed with that. I think there's a couple of games that we that we get a ton of mileage out of the uh, exploding kittens. We play a lot of exploding kittens. Uh, we play a. Um, we play one called Trash Pandas. Oh, which is I a, a love card game. Trash Pandas. Yeah, we play a lot of Trash so Pandas. Um, and then we play, We uh, I'll give you my recommendation. There's one called King Domino. Oh, yes. Which, which is super fun. And we play a lot of that one as well. So we, we have that. We haven't, I haven't played it with the kids yet. We have that one. I think the one you were thinking of, uh, I, the kids and I found it, it's called Dragonwood. And I love that game. So much fun. Uh, if you, if you like D and D kind of style games, um, Dragonwood super fun. And even my Jackson was, I think seven or eight when we started playing, and he could he could figure it out. Um, so it was great, great for them. And they actually, uh, we got the harder version of it. Dragon, I think it's Dragon Quest or Dragon Realm, something like that. And it's they they love it. It's so it's so much fun. And that was it's funny that you said that because that was the game that I, in my head I was like, oh, we could play Dragon when we play Flux. And Riley comes out with the the Nancy Drew mystery, but it was so much fun. And I would 100% do something like that again. I was like, ooh, this is not, this is definitely one of those one-time use games because now mm-hmm. that they've solved it, like yep. obviously we can't do it again, but yeah. um, totally, totally worth the time. Because I thought about it and I was like, oh, my first thought as a parent was, well, that was a waste of money. And like, I know my mom, <laughs> you know, I know my mom spent 25 bucks on this thing. And so I'm thinking, oh, that's it. But I, when I stop and step back and think like I would have spent way more than that if I took them to the movies yeah. for two hours or if I took them to a baseball game or whatever. And so I'm like, that was actually it. We, we spent, you know, an hour and a half together and we had a lot of fun. Um, It was totally, totally worth it. And it can have new life with another family, you know, yeah. so it's uh super, super fun. Anyway, that's my so that's my gauge on entertainment. I think um I, that's how I gauge entertainment. And I think a lot of people get lost in that. Yep. I gauge I gauge everything against the fact that a two hour movie cost me fifteen dollars right now if I go mm-hmm. to the theater. Mm-hmm. And so if I do something with a family of four and it takes us three hours and it cost me 50 bucks, I'm like, that's, that was a reason as a reasonable deal. Like, you know, as if everybody was into it, and we had a good time. I'm like, that's what that's what entertainment for a group costs. Yeah. Uh, but that just anyway, that that makes a lot of that stuff more palatable to me because I'm totally with you. It's 25 bucks and then you do it and you're like, oh, well, that's done. Um, yeah, I can't look at it as, uh, you know, a comparison to a deck of cards. You got to look at it as how yep. many people enjoyed it and for how long do they enjoy it? All right, let's let's do some actual work here. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's get to work. Uh, so speaking of judgmental uh, and judging, because that's how you kicked me off with my name today. Uh, we've got a great mailbag question. I actually um, really like this one. And it um, it's funny because it uh, comes from a colleague and uh, someone that I actually know in real life who who I have worked with uh, before. And mm-hmm. when I saw it pop up in the mailbox, I was like, "Ooh, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, 
but it also has sat there for a while because I thought, how do we like this is a it's a big one and it's a it's a vague one. Um, and so I'm I'm super interested to, to dive into this with you. Um, so we got an ask that said, how do you get uh, co-workers to move past a, sh- a snapshot mentality? Uh, and they said, I have a fellow manager on my team who sees everything um, in like a single view format without doing a deep dive into what's really going on and what what they what they mean is they gave an example like for example if this person sees someone sitting down their automatic assumption and where they go to every time is that person is not doing anything or that person is lazy right and it's those kind of snap judgments and and they said this happens kind of repeatedly and with people across the team and so it causes grief obviously as you can imagine with the team there's perception that this person is mean that they're picking on people uh that they're kind of a jerk and also it causes conflict amongst the rest of the managers because there are lots of people on the team who are like dude what's your what's your problem like why do you have such an attitude um and so they were like how do i get how do I t- how do I teach that this person happens to be the the lead of this management team and was like how do I how do we this this has to be a skill right like how do I teach people to have some empathy and compassion and be a better leader and not make such rash uh, snap judgments yeah I, I thought that was a, I thought that was really a, an interesting as an interesting question as an interesting question I think there's I think there's plenty of stuff here I. Th- think the important thing to think about is the question here is how do I deal with this behavior in my peer? Because that's that's yes. what I'm hearing. Yes. Um, the way I would do it if I was the boss of this person is a little bit different, but um, yes, but not, not wildly different. There's there's a lot of similarities. Well, let's start. Um, let's start with some headspace. You ready? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So do not fall into the trap of doing to the person what you complain about the person doing to other people. Yeah. Meaning, mm-hmm. say. This person is always coming up with snap judgments and labeling people, and then they're grumpy. And I'm not saying that's what we get from the from the letter, but you know sure. what I mean. Like I, I immediately want to make sure that I'm not falling into the thing that I'm I, that I don't like about this person. Uh, right. It's easy to get into the negative headspace. Exactly right, and to mm-hmm. say, well, that's this is what they do. Look, everybody's got uh, everybody's got their strengths and everybody's got their weaknesses, right? And everybody's got mental shortcuts that they take and they have ways that they look at the world. You know, it's just interesting. I uh, So I coach improv comedy mm-hmm. and uh, and I really enjoy it. And I had a, uh, a player. So we, we um, as part of the coaching, so I'll coach a team for a season. And so I work with this group of people throughout a whole season. And one time I was halfway through the season and generally at the halfway point, I sit down with each of the players individually and say, how do you think the season's going? Mm-hmm. What, do, what do you see your strong suits as? What are your weaknesses? What do you want to focus on in the second half of the season? These are the things I see you doing well. And this is where I think that you can grow. And I kind of do a one-on-one evaluation with each of these players. And so I have... Um, I love the diversity of people that we play with and we have some uh we have some some people who are older and so uh I don't think you'd mind me telling the story. But I was talking to one of my friends who is on the team and he came in and he's 78 years old and he does improv with us mm-hmm. and he's he's great. And he had a frustration and he said, you know, I get so frustrated because other people see me doing a scene and then they jump in because they think they can do it better than me. And oh. and that really bothered him. And I talked to him about it for a while. And ultimately what I said to him was, you know, you've made this assumption that people are jumping in because they think that they can, they can jump, they're jumping into the scene that he's putting on uh, or he's creating. 
and sort of and and making him kind of leave that scene. They're they're tagging him out of that scene, so he's sure. he's sort of being moved off the stage, and they're they're continuing on with this thing that he helped create. And I said, you know, you make this assumption these people are jumping in because they think they can do it better than you. I said, you know, I watch you do these things. I think that you're creating things that are fun and exciting, and people want to be a part of what you've created, and so they're jumping in because they want to be a part of what you're doing. I don't think that anyone thinks you're not doing it well. I think that you succeed in creating a thing, and then other people want to play in the universe that you have created on this stage. And I was going to say, you know, I I think think that that's that's a real strength, and I think it shows what a strong season you're having as far as creation and comedy and, and theater and things. And so anyway, I know that's kind of a weird story to bring forward, but it stands out to me as I have this person who was having uh, who was having great success. But in his mind, the explanation was these people make they jump into my scene because they think they can do it better than me. And I look at it and I say, I think these people are jumping into your scene because you're doing a great job and they want to be a part of what you're doing. And and that's the story that's in my head as I look at this question about about the manager and they see these people in a snapshot and uh, we make we make sort of assumptions about why they are behaving the way that they are. And so yeah. I, if I was going to talk to the person, I would tell them that story because it's, it's, it's a story I can say, hey, sure. you know, this is a thing that I've seen in my life and I want to tell you a story about, about some improv comedy. And then I would bring it back and I would sort of say, you know, my friend was wrong because he, these people uh, had great respect for him and they were doing these positive things, but didn't look that way. And I would say, you know, I, I see you sometimes and we have these conversations and I kind of, I wonder if you don't have a similar perspective sometimes of, of making assumptions about, about what people are doing and things like that, that, you know, that aren't, that aren't, uh, that aren't exactly accurate. And so anyway, that, that's, if, if I was their boss, I would probably, you know, maybe tell that story and things like that. But, um, but I don't know. I just want to be that that's kind of from a headspace standpoint, that story of my friend at improv is, is very similar to how I look at these experiences. When people make snap judgments, they tell themselves stories about what other people are doing. And the sad thing is my friend was unhappy doing improv right? until I got him to believe no this isn't happening because people don't like you or they think right. less of you. This happens because they do like you and they're, you know, and they're, and you're, and look, and got him to look at this different way. And yeah. suddenly he was thrilled and he was happy to be right. on the team. And he, he took this as, as a compliment and praise. And, you know, and then I told him, like, I'm going to, I'm going to lean into making sure that people don't jump in just because they want to participate in what you're doing. Like they need to, you know, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to make sure people don't take this away from you just because they're excited about what you're doing. They need to bring something new and different. You know, I sort and I could sort of communicate that to uh, to the team as I saw it and say, hey, pay attention to these things. And anyway, I, I was able to address the problem in a way that was positive for everybody. Yeah, I, I I really like that. And I think that there's a piece of I think it's a good example and illustration as you were telling the story and you the clear difference in mindset between thinking that people are jumping in because he mm-hmm. they, they could do it better than him versus they're jumping in because they're excited. Like those are two radically different things. And yep. there's this there's this quote that I love uh, by Stephen Covey and it says we judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their behavior. Oh, that's good. And it's such a good quote. And I I uh, heard it when I was <laughs> just getting started as a as a leader and a manager, and realized a, a few things about it. It, it. it resonated with me so strongly. And I realized like it is true. And to your point, we evaluate ourselves using this exclusive access that we have in our heads 
to the story that we're telling ourselves in our heads, right? Like only we know what's going on in our minds. And there are, we know about our intentions. We know about our motivations. We also know about our own insecurities, our own worries, things that have happened in the past that have hurt us Mm -hmm. or who have gone really well. All of those things go up uh, and roll up into a ball and are part of the self-evaluation that we make on how we're choosing to act, right? And those internal thoughts at best, are only partially known by the people around us. And even when they know, they may not be understood well or they may be interpreted very differently. The actions that we live by and our behaviors is what counts to the people around us. And so it, it for me, was always a reminder to, to say, hey, look, the team doesn't, doesn't want good intentions. <laughs> they yeah. want good actions. They want to be supported because they will judge you. Like that is human nature. We are all judgmental. <laughs> There's no escaping. Every single one of us on the planet at some point uh, throws stones and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and judges other people, right? And so I think it's really important to think as a peer, if you can recognize that and you can recognize that how how you act matters, you can have some influence over your peer. And to your point early on, like how you how you address this as a peer and how you address it if you are their boss is, is two different things. And ultimately, I think this might be a little bit of an episode where we visit Camp Tough Love because um, if you are truly just a peer, like at some point your hands may be tied yeah. and there there's not a whole lot that you can do. But you can always choose your behavior and how you how you interact and how you lead by example. And so for me, that thinking about that quote and thinking about like, we judge ourselves differently than everybody else judges us. And if we want to think about not having judgment by the rest of the team or passing judgment, we have to think about how are they looking at it, not how are how are we looking at it? Because our perception is skewed. Yeah, I agree. You know, the big things for me when I start talking about things like this. I guess the question that we sort of wrestle around with is what is my responsibility mm-hmm. to give feedback to a peer? Sure. Um, and, and I don't I don't know that. I, I, I wonder, it really depends on the culture and the structure. Are we in a place where, you know, we, we give feedback to each other? Do we have a system to do uh, peer evaluations? Do they right. th- do 360 uh, degree evals? Um, is this a thing where maybe that person's direct boss uh, ask the other managers and says, hey, we're all going to give feedback on each other and you're going to give it to me and I'm going to use it uh, to do evaluations with people. So, you know, tell me the strengths and tell me any weaknesses that you see in in colleagues. And right. you know, there's a million different ways to do that sort of things where if the higher ups wanted to get feedback from others about how someone was doing so they could give that person that feedback. You know, if this is drilled down to a, it seems like a pretty condensed nugget of pointed feedback to say, this is a behavior that we see there, there may be mechanisms for that. And honestly, a lot of times I think that the easiest thing would be to go through that mechanism and say, here's what I see, uh, you know, in Steve, uh, he's great. These are the things he does well. This is the big uh, thing that I think he struggled with. And you may have a mechanism like that. And if that's the system and you give feedback to the boss and the boss gives feedback to the person, then I would just go through that system. And that's that's not wrong. It's kind of like, um, you know, we like for the technicians to talk to each other and give each other feedback. But honestly, a lot of times, let's be honest, the best thing they could do is pass it to the practice manager 
and allow the manager to give that person feedback or to give the, to give them, uh, you know, an evaluation or, or things like that. It really, you know, it really depends. We've all looked at, at people that are our colleagues or our peers in the workplace and been like, do I want to give this person some constructive criticism? Is it worth the risk to me to do that? You know, uh, is it my place to do it? Would I want this person to give me feedback? Yes. And I think a lot of us are like, sure, I would. And would you really? And I just think that those are all sort of dynamics that are specific to uh, a an individual practice. Yes. And so I'm not saying don't do it, but I am saying, you know, we sometimes have to ask ourselves what feedback is appropriate to give to a peer um, versus what feedback is appropriate to go through a review process versus what feedback is a more appropriate just to keep to ourselves unless someone asks us. If this person isn't asking for feedback, do I go, okay, well, you know, I'm going to let go. So um, so I think I, I agree with you on a big chunk of that, and I disagree with you on part of it. And, sure. And so, but... But before I get into that, the disagreement piece of it, I think it's important to to roll back for just a second because I think your point is about what type of feedback you're giving is spot on, right? And so here's the thing. The reason why a lot of us struggle with giving that feedback, particularly peer-to-peer, like, is it, is it, my, is it actually my job to give them this mm-hmm. feedback? My answer to that, this is where I disagree with you, is always yes. Like, I don't have any right to say something to their boss or go above them if I haven't had the conversation with them directly. Like that's a fundamental core belief of mine. Um, I didn't always have that belief, but it shifted radically for me early on in my career. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I don't feel good. I, there were times where I said something to somebody else's boss and the change happened, but I never felt good about the change. Mm-hmm. And what I realized it over the course of working on communication skills and in therapy was that it, I felt guilty because, yeah, the change had happened, but it had happened because I I told on them or I narked them out. Right. And so there was for me, there was this guilt factor of like, OK, I really did want that change, but I didn't want the consequences of them feeling like they got told on because I went through that myself and it feels really crappy. And so for me, a core fundamental belief is like, look, I can say something, but I have to have had the conversation with that person directly first. And so we've talked on the podcast before about some of the rules that I've developed for myself to make that an easier process. But I want to step back for one second because I think a lot of it has to do with the type of feedback that we're giving to that person. So I think something that you and I are very passionate about is how do we give feedback? Because Mm -hmm. so much of our jobs especially as leaders, but everybody on our team should be able to give feedback. And unfortunately for all of us, peer feedback is not something that it, it, it is a skill. It has to be learned and then it has to be honed. And it is not something that most of us learn in everyday life. We don't learn the tools um, to, con- to to truly give constructive feedback. And we all know this because we felt the results of uh very critical <laughs> and not constructive feedback where we felt like people are just being mean. They're they're smack talking us, right? We've all felt that on some individual level in our in our practices in our career. And so when I think about feedback, I think um I a light bulb moment for me happened when I saw this model um in a class. And I don't I don't know off the top of my head where it came from. I'll I'll put it in the show notes for you guys. But there is this concept about this feedback bullseye. So close your eyes and imagine that there's a target, right? Like a shooting target and you have the rings and there are four rings 
And the big outer ring is green. And that is the impact ring. Okay. And so this is about talking to people about what impact their actions or their words or uh, have on you, on the rest of the team, on the group as a whole. That's the first ring. The second ring is behavior. So what behaviors are happening that are impacting the team? And those two rings are tied together, right? That makes total sense. And then you get one ring down and you could talk to somebody about their motivation. What is motivating them to behave this way and act this way that then has impact on others around them, rippling outwards, right? And at the center of that bullseye is someone's motivation. What is motivating them to, uh, sorry, the center is their identity, who they are. They are a mean person. They are just a jerk. And this is why they are motivated to behave this way. And this is how it impacts the team, right? That ripples out. When I saw that and, and the person who was talking about it was explaining, look, your job should always be to stay in the outer two rings because they are the majority. They are the biggest. They are the brightest. They have the most impact. When we judge someone for their motivation or we talk about their identity as a person, we get nowhere. And yet that's where we often as humans lean into when it comes to giving peer-to-peer feedback. Well, I think you're just being a jerk. I don't I don't like why you're choosing to do what you're choosing to do. I disagree with that, right? We are judging the identity and motivation. We can't change that. That's not something that we can that we can affect change on when we talk to them about the impact that their actions have on the team when we talk about the behaviors themselves when you use this tone of voice when you when you speak to someone in that way when you stand there and cross your arms those are things that we can give clear examples for and we can impact change and that's a behavioral model that we don't teach and so most of us when we're trying to give feedback peer to peer, we don't know how to phrase it. We don't know what to do with that feedback. So most of us, to your point, Andy, lean into, is it really my job? I'm not really equipped to that, to do this. So I'm just going to say something to their manager if I have the opportunity. And it's probably going to course correct better if it comes from them. And right. I would really argue that it is all of our responsibilities <laughs> to be able to have those conversations with each other and say to your peer. Like, I should be able to say to you, hey, Andy, when you talk to Sarah like that, it makes me really sad because I actually, uh, when I hear you, what I hear is judgment. And if I was her, that would make me feel pretty crappy about myself or the job that I was doing or whatever. I don't want to feel like that. So how can I help you do that less because it makes me really sad, right? Then I'm talking about the impact that your behaviors had on me as a person. I'm not talking about how Sarah felt. I'm being empathetic and I'm showing that I could have compassion for her, right? And that feels very different than, hey, I'm just going to go ahead and tell our boss when we have an opportunity to get feedback that, hey, you know, Sarah's kind of a jerk and she's managing in a way that I don't think everybody likes. Those two things feel really different. Sure. No, when I say I talk to the manager, I guess what I was trying to say is I, I think a good evaluation process involves feedback from multiple people and going and being like, hey, you work with Stephanie Goss. What are your impressions? What are her strengths? What are her weaknesses? I would say these are her strengths. And this is the weakness yep. that no I see. No one person has the whole story. Exactly right. right? Yeah. Like you have to do your job. Right. I'm not going to go. I am not going to go and tell Stephanie's boss, hey, 
I wasn't affected by this, but she exhibited a behavior that I was not how I would do this. Like, I'm not going to do that. But th that's what I meant when I sort of said, is it your job to go and have these conversations? And I still, I still go back to it. It, it, it does, unfortunately, it does depend on, on culture yes. uh, to some degree and what is acceptable and how we do it. So, okay. So let, what I want to do here, I, I want to start to get into the meat and potatoes of this. And so I think the first thing we ought to do is, well, I think just to be complete, we should lay down real quickly, why is the behavior that's being exhibited a problem, mm -hmm. you know? And so I, I would just put forward, as you said, uh, to me, the big thing is uh, assuming someone's identity based on a behavior is a dead end, right? Yeah. Saying that person didn't show up and so they are lazy, yeah. not they did not appear when they were supposed to be there because that's one a one-time thing that can be right. corrected, adjusted, but no, they right. as a person are lazy that that's that's lazy thinking and is sloppy thinking and it leaves you in a management hole because you can't change who someone is and it makes it easy to write people off and that is a writing people off is not is not growing them that's no. uh that's giving up on growing them yes. and so that is that is a problem you know the classic ideas of seek first to understand yeah. assume good intent all of those things are important and take your pick of which one you want to motivate you but but they really are you know behavior not identity Identity, uh, when we give feedback, the, all those things are important in in making people feel seen and still being able to give them give them feedback. And obviously, when we look at people and make judgments about why they are uh, behaving that way and who they are, we we damage relationships, right? We we isolate things. I'll also call out this is a classic anxiety. Um, yeah, this is a classic anxiety symptom of catastrophizing. Right. When you look and you see someone not doing a thing, you go, oh, that person is worthless. They don't do anything. They get, yeah. you know, they're so lazy. I'm going, that's catastrophizing. You are looking at one thing and telling yourself a story in your head and then behaving as if that story was true. Well, and for just a second, like, I think we have to normalize. That this piece really resonated with me because I I have been this manager where I've I've judged I've looked at somebody who's sitting down and I'm like, gosh dang it there's so much to be done like why are they just sitting there right I I totally understand where you can make that judgment we all do it and I think we have to normalize the fact that it is impossible to go a hundred miles an hour ten or twelve hours a day. Every single one of us is human. We need breaks. We need to sit. We need to do do nothing. It is just because someone works for me does not mean that they are going to move nonstop for the 12 hours a day that they are working on my team. That is an unrealistic, unfair assumption. And I think we have to normalize the fact that everybody on our team deserves the opportunity to sit and stare into space or do nothing Yeah, at times during their shift, right? Like that has to be part of the conversation. But because we do what you're talking about, because we have a lot of anxiety, because we have a lot of fear, a lot of concerns, we can very easily look at one time and turn it into a thousand times. Yeah. And I think that's where as a leader, your job is not to judge the one time. It's to and not even to go looking for the pattern, because if you go looking for it, you will find it. And that drives you into the negative rabbit hole faster and faster. Right. But it's about it's about when it actually happens, being able to say, is this behavior happening over and over again? Does this have an impact on the rest of the team? Or do I need to recognize this? Say, this is a human being who's sitting here for five seconds. Cool. 
good for you. I'm proud of you for sitting here and taking a break, right? Like when do we start to have that conversation as leaders? And I recognize that that's a little bit of a soapbox, but like that is part of breaking that cycle because historically as an industry, I have worked with and for way more bosses who look at it from the other side of the spectrum where it's like, oh my God, you're sitting down for five minutes. You're lazy. Why aren't you doing your job? That's not normal. That is very abnormal behavior. (laughs) And it is something that I think we need to recognize that we're doing and work on trying to fix. Yeah. I One of the, probably the least enjoyable experience I had in vet school was when I was, uh, I was doing large animal internal medicine rotation (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. um, and I was there during the day and I was, uh, I was involved in this ultrasound. And so this clinician was doing this ultrasound and I was there and I was taking notes or whatever. And I was talking to him and I was really involved in what was going on. And it was a case that I was working on everything. And so anyway, so that happened in the afternoon. And then I was on call that night and I got called in about 1030 at night. And I was there until four in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I don't do well staying up overnight. I've yeah. never done an emergency. Yeah. I just, I don't. And so the next day, I'm back in rounds. It's like three in the afternoon. And the clinician starts drilling me with questions from the ultrasound on the previous day. And Stephanie, I couldn't remember. And, sure. I, you know, it was, I just, I didn't. You're half I, asleep. I, I mean, I was dying. And yeah. so I didn't. And he was hit me. And he was getting angry that I didn't know these questions. And he just came after me in front of everybody as far as just asking me a question and then another question and another question on top of it. And he got really upset and he was like, why don't you know any of this stuff? You know, I was here with you and blah, blah, blah. And really went after me. And I didn't say, I didn't tell him I was up all night because it didn't seem relevant at the time, you know. but I, that was the one time in vet school I was publicly chewed out in front sure. of uh, my colleagues. And it was funny. He came up. He, I still think about it sometimes. He came up to me later in the day and he said, oh, hey, buddy, I just found out that you were here all night. I'm really sorry about that earlier. And I was like, oh, OK, well, thanks. But it didn't change the fact that he yeah, embarrassed me in front, in front of everybody, everybody. you know. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, what's funny is I liked that guy. Like right. I, I still I liked him before, and I, I still like him after. But I think a lot about it. Is he had no idea what I was doing, and not like what I was doing in my personal life, like what I was doing in the hospital in the middle of the night doing these other things. Right. And so I think about that sometimes when I see someone sitting down, or you know, or zoned out, or whatever, and go. I remember when that guy came after me and I had done nothing but work as hard as I could. And man, it made me feel so bad. And so anyway, that's just a story from my life that that I remember um, about making assumptions about, I, mean, I wasn't sitting there, I, but I just, I didn't have the answers to his questions. And it's yeah. funny, everybody's fighting about it. We don't know anything about, right. you know, and, and anyway, I, I've always remembered that. So that's kind of a story that I, I kind of file away um, for, for things like this. So I, I, I just think that that's, that's important to really to really remember. And so um, it's hard, right? Because our writer can see that and they can mm-hmm. feel that. And they're like, why can this person not have that similar mentality? Right. Like, how do I get that's why they wrote to us. They're asking, how do I how do I help this person who is a peer get over that? And yeah. I think that's where I said early on, like, we might take a trip to Camp Tough Love. Like, I think yeah. the reality is I don't know how much control you have over that as a peer. And I think the things that you so So it's a little bit of headspace, but also a little bit of things to can try. Like you can control what you can and Mm -hmm. you can lead with empathy. You can lead with compassion. You can model the behavior, right? Like you can 
Andy, you as a leader experience that. And so it enables you to look through the lens differently now when you see it happening to other people because you had that experience yourself, right? Yeah. So our writer has the capacity to look through a different lens than the person who is that they're writing about, who's doing the things. And the reality is you can only control what you can control. And so you can control yourself. You can control how you lead, how you engage with compassion, with empathy, um, with other people and also with this person. And you can model the behavior and you can talk to them. Like those are all things in your control and are actionable steps. And Camp Tough Love, like you can't control it all. Like if you're not their direct boss, there's only so much you can do (laughs) to help affect change here. Let's take a quick break and then let's take a crack at it. Let's see what we can do. Okay. Hey guys, I just want to jump in here real fast and give a shout out to Banfield the Pet Hospital for making our transcripts available. That's right, we have transcripts for the Kona Shame Vet Podcast and the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. You can find them at drandyrook.com and at unchartedvet.com. This is uh, part of their effort to increase inclusivity and accessibility in vet medicine. We couldn't do it without them. I gotta say thanks. Thanks for uh, for making the, the content that we put out more available to our colleagues. Guys, that's all I got this time. Let's get back into this. All right, so let's get let's get into this here for a second. Um, now you're right. You can't uh, caveats at the very beginning. You cannot change someone who doesn't want to change. Yeah. And you should always remember that we we talk about that a lot. Yes. You cannot change uh, someone who doesn't want to change. You can always model the behaviors that you want to see in others and that you think should be part of your culture. And that yes. is a power that you always have. Yes. And I and I I, I do think that those two things are are really important. If you want to have a chance of helping this person um and you see these things the first thing that i think is required is a trusting relationship sure i think is extremely hard to have this conversation with someone that you don't have a relationship with yes or that you don't know or that you don't have any trust in right have you given them positive reinforcement in the past have you told them the things that they're good at how, do you know their hobbies? Do you know their spouse? Have you had dinner with them? Have you had lunch with them? Do mm-hmm. you talk to them? Do mm-hmm. you have, you know, like, just do you know them? Do you have a and foundation? Do you have a foundation? Yeah. And if you don't have a foundation, I would say you, my friend, are on thin ice. Uh, and this is going to be very hard. Right. And and that is something that you can't do right now today. You have to build it over time. But there are that, this is why we want to know our colleagues. This is why we give positive reinforcement whenever we get the chance, right? Because mm-hmm. when we have something that might sting a little bit to hear, um, we can give it inside of a relationship of trust. Yep. And so that, that's the first thing I want to say is, well, you know, you could, if you have a very strong trusting relationship, you know, you could say these things. Yeah. I would I would say them directly to you and to your face. And I wouldn't think twice about it uh, if, if we were peers because I care about you deeply and you know right. I care about you. Right. You know I do anything for you. Right. And so if I said, hey, I see something, I, I, I just want to bring your attention because I've, I've seen it a couple of times and I just want to put it on your radar. Um I would just say that to you, but I can do that because we have a very good right. foundation, filled foundation yeah. and relationship. And so I, I just think that's a big part of it. And then I think you've really got two options. If you if you want to do this um, and you're trying to get your head around it, the first question I would say to you before choosing an option is, is what is kind? And I talk a lot about that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were this person, would you want to get this feedback? Would you want to know that you were getting this? And why would, why would you want to, if you were, sorry, if you were this person, would you want to get this feedback? 
would you want to know that someone had seen these things? And why would you want to know? And and start to put that into your mind is what is kind, what is kind to this person, what is kind to the staff, and uh, what is kind to the the to the other peers, you know, the people who are directs. Like like sort of weigh the options up and sort of say, okay, is this the hill that I want to potentially die on? Which hopefully I'm not going to. Uh, but but is it <laughs> is it worth this risk to me? So but but right. but do it right. Okay, so what is kind? And then you got two options. So the first one is to go if it's bothering you and you feel like this is mounting and you have a good answer to the question why today. If you're like, oh, I'll tell you why I'm going to do this today, and you have a good reason why this needs to happen today, then your best friend, in my opinion, is developmental feedback. You go in and say, hey, I want to talk to you real quick about something that I'm seeing. And then I would give them, I always give them, give them the good stuff first, right? right? Say, I've seen you do a lot of things. I think these are the things that you are really good at. This is the stuff that you do that I admire the most. This is the things you do that really, really impress me. There's one thing that I look at when I look at you and I look at all the balls that you're juggling that I just want to bring to your attention as a potential for uh, for for you to have an easier time, right? And that's why I call it developmental feedback. I'm not telling you to do something wrong. Right. I'm telling you I see an opportunity for your life to be easier. I see an opportunity for you to make better headway. I see an opportunity for you to get more out of your people. I see an opportunity for you to have less stress and get le- fewer people pushing back against you. It's future right? facing. It's, it's 100% future facing. It's something they can do something about because it's not something that's already happened. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it definitely, if I'm giving fe- peer feedback, I don't want to talk to my peers about what they screwed up last week. Right. Right. Because it's, it's over. But it's future facing. Right. I can't fix what happened last week, but I can say, hey, I see an opportunity for the future to go more easily. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to put it on your radar. This is a thing that I've seen. And so that's the developmental future facing feedback. That's how I would say it is not you messed up, but. I, I want to bring bring this up. I, I just want to tell you, I see you excelling in all of these ways. I think these are real strengths of yours. There's one thing that I want to put on your radar that I think could make your life easier. And and here it is. I just I've seen it a couple of times. And again, this may be I may have seen it the only times it ever happened, but I, I just saw it a couple of times and I just want to mention it to you. And then you say it, mm-hmm. right? The other thing is the mention, which is you say it when it happens. And so when they look at the person and they walk away and they come in and they close the door to the manager's office, they're like, God, she's so lazy. Yep. That's when you say, hey, I need to talk to you about something. And then you say, I've heard you say things like this a couple of times. And and I know why you say it. Right? Empathy first. Show some empathy. I know why you say it. I think we've all felt that way. Yeah. I, re- I recognize that because I have done the same thing, right? Like you're setting the ground equally as peers. Absolutely. And then you say, when you look at when you see someone sitting down, you seem to get frustrated with them in a much bigger scale than what is warranted given what's going on. And I just I think it I think it might damage your relationship with those people. I think it makes you unhappy, I, you know, and, and I think it makes it harder for you to manage those people because mm-hmm. it's you can't do anything with a lazy person. Right. But you can but you can 100 percent address inefficiencies in time management. Sure. And, and so then you, you, I would have that feedback for that. And again, I call it the mention because I'm not going to give them a 45-minute guided lecture with PowerPoints Great. and documentation. I'm just going to say, hey, I may be off base here, but this is what it, this is the thing that I see. And I just, you know, you said that. Let me, let me, let me just say this. And, and you can tell me if I'm right or tell me if I'm wrong. I don't know. This is what I see. And then you say it and then you let it go. 
Yeah. And I, I would add to that too. Like y- you can say, how, like, I don't, I don't want you to feel negative like that. So how, you know, like how, how can I help? Yeah. Whatever you've told them is the thing. Cause then it's, cause then it's, it's mentioned, like you said, you're doing it in real time. It's a thing that's just happened. And it isn't just like, Hey, I think you just acted like a jerk and now I'm going to turn around and walk away. And that's the end of the conversation. Right. Cause yeah. that doesn't feel good either. Sure. Um, it's, it's like, Hey, what's, you know, do you need to, do you need a break? Do you need to talk? Like what's, how, how can I, how can I help? Yeah. This only works if you lead with empathy, Mm -hmm. you have to like this person and come to them as someone who is on their team and who wants to help them. Not as, Hey, I'm not your boss, but I'm going to give you some tough love. And so the tough love is for the writer who says, you can't change anyone who, uh, who doesn't want to change. I would not use tough love on this person because I'm not their boss. I'm going to use empathetic communication to say, hey, I see you and I hear you. Mm -hmm. And this is my concern. And then I'm just going to say, what do you, and then I'll even end with, what do you, what do you think of that? Or Mm -hmm. does that sound Mm -hmm. reasonable? Mm -hmm. I might be completely off base. Sure. And just let them go. But I'm not trying to tag them and say, I have diagnosed you. I'm going to say, I don't know. I've seen a couple of things. I, I let me ask you a question and then put it down. And so here's here's where I agreed with you when I said I, we uh, disagree and agree. So here's where I agree with you. So I think you have to for me, like my personal role is I ha- like, look, I have to talk to you first. And if I talk to you, particularly if we've now like done the mention or had the conversation mm-hmm. like mm, last week, you said that, too. And now we're having the conversation again. Then for me is. I have to ask myself the question, look, do I control their direct future? Am I their direct boss? And if the answer to that is no, and I've had the conversation, particularly if I've had a repeated conversation with them, then I have no qualms about talking to their boss and the context for me in talking to their boss, even if it's not a 360 review process is happening or there's something else that is happening that would make me give that feedback to somebody who is soliciting it. But I would have no problem talking to their boss. And the way that I approach that is to say, hey, I had an interaction with Sarah yesterday and I uh, asked her like how I could help. And this is like the third time this week. And then it happened again this morning. And so I could use your help as her boss Mm -hmm. in figuring out how I can be a better peer for her, how I can support her more. Now you are effectively making them aware of the situation and you are doing it in a positive way because you're coming to them, asking them for your help, for how you can be a better peer. That looks and feels and is, I, I think, so much better than, oh, hey, Andy, you should know that Sarah's out there being a jerk to the rest of the team. Yeah you're the manager, like you deal with it, but I just wanted you to to know, right? Like uh, how many times as a manager have I sat in the office and someone has come and unloaded on me and basically said, this person's acting like a jerk. I don't want to have anything to do with fixing it. I just need you to be aware of the yep. problem because it's your job to deal with it. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. <laughs> you have some responsibility as a, as a peer. And so I have no problem talking to the actual boss about how uh, I can help them. And I'll tell you why. Because the answer is that If you ask to actively be a part of the solution, it benefits you too. And that sounds crazy, but follow me for a second. So if I say to them, hey, Catherine, you're her boss and I'm struggling with this. I would like to be a better peer for her. Did you know that this was happening? How I need your help trying to figure out how to address this. You're bringing it to her attention. Then you're going to talk through it, right? And ultimately, if 
Catherine decides that Sarah maybe should have some leadership training or some sensitivity training or some critical conversations training. Mm -hmm. I, as a fellow manager, can also get in on that because I always want to continue to improve myself. Look, the fact that you, writer, are sending us this email tells me that you care that you are doing good things as a manager. And that, my friend, that is the sweet spot because you always have room to learn new skills, to gain new knowledge, to grow. And so if you engage with the leadership to help solve this problem, you have the potential to benefit yourself as well in terms of gaining skills. And this person will benefit as well. Um, And so it is a win-win, I think, on both sides in that regard only if you approach it from the perspective of, hey, I want to help, I want to learn, Mm -hmm. I want to grow, um, and not from the place of, hey, look, (laughs) she's a jerk, this is your problem. Yeah, totally. I I completely agree. Cool, man. I think that's the best advice that I got for this person. I hope it's it's been beneficial just to sort of walk through the exercise of do we have this conversation? Do we not have this conversation? Um, You know, how do we... How do we get our heads around this? Uh, what is the what is the underpinnings of the problem that we're seeing in the other person? And then how do we actually approach this person if we decide to do so? So yes. I feel like that was a good uh, kind of, we wandered a little bit there, but I think that we ultimately got around <laughs> to all the things that I really wanted to get around to. Because look at ultimately you pick your poison. And so you can yep. be miserable and you can keep seeing this behavior happening over and over and over, yep. or you can do something about it. And you your hands might be a little bit tied if you're their peer and you're not their boss. And it's not to say that it's hopeless and there's nothing you can do. And so do what you have in your control, pick your poison and you can do what's in your control and you can try and impact the change. And then at the end of the day, you have to recognize, is this the hill I want to die on? And if so, Mm -hmm. that's a choice. Or am I going to stay quiet about this and I'm just going to let it go? I'm going to ignore it. Like those are all conscious decisions. And that's ultimately where it's like, like, you have to pick your poison and figure out how do you want to live with this situation? And hopefully- It involves you wanting to change it because I don't want to be miserable. <laughs> I don't yeah, want, I don't I'm with you. somebody like that. <laughs> I am with you. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Yeah, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Take care. Hey, friends. Have you been over to the website lately to check out all the fun and exciting things that are coming from the Uncharted Veterinary Team? If not, you should stop right now and head over there because we have got some awesome stuff coming late summer and into the fall and winter. And I want you to be there with us. We have our Get Shit Done conference coming in the fall that is happening in October. Before that, we've got a workshop coming in September from my dear friend, Dr. Phil Richmond. He's going to be talking about avoiding toxic teams, how to create psychological safety in our practices. We've got uh, the amazing and wonderful technician, Melissa Enchkin, who is leading a workshop in October about leveraging technicians, making practice less stressful for you, them, and your patients, and all kinds of other fantastic things you are not going to want to miss out on. So if you haven't been over there lately, head on over to unchartedvet.com. You can hit forward slash events if you want to go straight to the events page, but that will show you everything that is coming. And remember, if you are an Uncharted member, your membership gets you access to all all of these workshops that we do on a regular basis for free. And if you are not currently a member, you can check out the membership information because it will save you big bucks throughout the year on accessing all of the workshops. And it scores you access to the conferences when we have them like Get Shit Done for less money. That's right. You get a discount. And who doesn't love a good discount? Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you soon.